Hi everybody, I'm David Church and this is the Queer Ed Podcast. The need to queer the education landscape is needed as much now as it was in the past. Discourse in a wide range of industries is littered with underrepresentation, the gender gap and the need for wider diversity. Even this week, I've listened to a BBC Radio 3 talk about the gender bias in the music industry and how STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering and maths, are still considered to be male-dominated. The media is currently leading the way with increasing visibility and challenging the accepted societal norms. Even my parents have watched Channel 4's acclaimed It's a Sin, but is this really enough? In today's episode, I share my experiences going through school in the 1990s as a young person trying to come to terms with his identity, while living in the shadow of Section 28. I'll argue that while society has moved on, helped mainly by the media and the entertainment industry, we still have a long way to go in the education sector. So if we kick off by looking at my childhood, I think it's important to say that I probably always knew I was gay without realising it. I always knew I was different to my cousins. I would go around and see them. Although they lived up in Essex and I grew up down in Wiltshire, when I went and saw them, I always felt like there was a disconnect. And yeah, you could argue that some of that is because of the um, time that we wouldn't spend together because they were about three, four hours away in by car than where we grew up. But there was always that feeling, that subconscious feeling of being different, even in comparison to my younger brother, who's only three years younger than me. When he was at school, when he was growing up, he was the typical boy, if you like, in inverted commas, but I always felt like I was a little bit different to him. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why I was different to him. I remember as a kid having a Barbie doll and knowing at the time that that felt wrong and knowing that that would be shameful that I shouldn't have these toys because they're toys that girls should have. Now, as I mentioned in episode one, and I will talk about as we go through this podcast series, my parents are amazing and have always been incredibly supportive. But regardless of that, there's always been something in me that has made me realise that that's not the toy that I should play with. And I would imagine that it came from my early experiences in education, from looking at what happened when I was in playgroups, nurseries, and as I started primary school. Moving on into secondary school, though, that kind of carried on with my obsession, if you like, with the Spice Girls, something that still carries with me today. And actually now I'm very proud of it. But at the time, going through secondary school, when I was 11, 12, 13, in a sense, I was too old to be a Spice Girls fan because at the time, most of their fans were primary school age and were girls. And looking back at it, that now seems a bit ludicrous to me because it's quite clear that their fan base is massively LGBT plus you look at the career that Melanie C has had and continues to have the fact that she's been nominated for the British LGBT awards this year you look at the chart success that Jerry Halliwell has had as a solo artist you know the Spice Girls actually were yes their message was girl power but actually it was about being who you need to be who you are and celebrating it in a real way but at the time it wasn't the norm it wasn't seen as what a normal boy in secondary school should be doing and was doing. So I knew that wasn't right. That made me feel even more different. And I guess a lot of it has this um, subcontext of being confident and being um, willing to accept who you are and knowing it doesn't make a difference. But then it's in school, it, 
it's the challenge of wanting and needing friends and the social situation. And if I'd have really accepted who I was then, I'm not sure if at the time, the 11, 12 year old Dave would have been um, confident in knowing that if you're yourself, you will still have those friends. That I felt I had to fit in. I had to fit in with those gender norms and the heteronormativity of secondary school. You look at the courses I did at secondary school. I did woodwork and electronics, which are subjects that I have absolutely no passion for, but they were seen as the masculine subjects. Then also I go back to my year seven days and I just started secondary school. Now, as I mentioned in episode one, I grew up in my education career, primary and secondary, under the guise of section 28. That was prevalent the whole way through my education career. When I look back at it now, I think actually I was incredibly lucky to have some of the teachers I did. I remember being in year seven and knowing something wasn't quite right and knowing I was different um, with all the things I've talked about with the Barbie dolls and the Spice Girls. But somehow I plucked up the courage to speak to one of my humanities teachers. Now, looking at it now as an educator, she probably had these massive safeguarding and uh, child protection worries and thinking, what is he going to say to me? But I remember I said to her, I need to speak to her after school. And she was brilliant. And she said, okay, what I'm going to do is she was aware of the other kids that are in my class and in my year group and said, right, if any of the children ask, you're in detention. So there was a valid reason for me to be there talking to her after school. And I remember the meeting as if it was yesterday. And I sat there in her classroom and she knew I wanted to speak to her about something, but I couldn't bring myself to say what it was. So she had to ask me all of these questions and literally all I could reply back with was yes or no. So she started and she was like, are you being bullied? No. Is it to do with what's cap? Is it your family? Is anything happening at home? No. And then slowly but surely, I mean, bless her, it must have been a hard job to do to try and get, get it out of me what I wanted to say. And then she finally asked me about my sexuality and if I thought I was gay. And that one word response as a yes back to her was my first step in really accepting who I was. Now, I mean, she was brilliant and she went off and she got phone numbers for me for the switchboard and um, other organisations. Looking back, I wonder how many organisations there really could have been for me if Section 28 wasn't in place. Would I have been able to actually accept myself and come to terms with it a lot sooner? I don't know. It's hard when you've got only got hindsight to look back on. Now, at the time, I didn't want to do anything else with that information. I told her, I told somebody, I'd got it off my chest, if you like, and that was enough for me. So all the way through secondary school. Now, I know now, looking back at it as an educator, and even at the time I was aware that she went then and told my form tutor, and I'm sure she told my head of year as well. So all the way through going through secondary school, without really realising it, or without there being anything spoken about, or overtly said, my teachers knew about my sexuality. I knew about my sexuality, but I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready to accept it myself. I wasn't ready to explore who I am and confirm it. There was a fear, if you like, that what if I'm wrong? What if I get labelled as gay and that's not who I am? That's not how I identify. So secondary school was an interesting time for me. There was a lot of going backwards and forwards. There was a lot of bullying happening. Now, I don't mean bullying in the sense of physical, but certainly verbal bullying every day, I would argue that there was 
constant use of the word gay and not so much in a derogatory way as in, oh, that's so gay and the rest of it, but more like that badgering on me just to kind of go, you're gay, Dave, you're gay, Dave, you're gay, Dave, you're gay. And that would happen daily. Now, I'm empowered now and I look back at that and go, well, yeah, I am. So I think... I'd love to look back on what happened in my in my secondary school years and look at actually is it really obvious was it clear and it was just me not accepting it but I think when you look at the wider aspects when you look at what was happening in the media when you look at representation on TV there wasn't any so the only way that I could find myself if you like was to be insular to be within myself and to look at it that way, there wasn't really, websites weren't around at the time. We were talking, I started secondary school in 1995, so we didn't even have the luxury of the internet. So I kind of just sat in it, sat on it myself and just kept myself to myself. And became, it was very quiet at secondary school as a result. And it was also an element of, am I actually gay? Or do I want to be those popular boys? Do I aspire to be them or want to be like them? And there was this real fear that I was completely on my own and isolated and not just feeling like I was the only gay person in my class or my year group or my school, but the town in which I grew up. It was a very small town. I think the last census data had about 25, 26,000 people living there. And it's probably around 30,000 now with the new census data coming out. So it's very much a town where everybody knows each other's business. There was no um, coverage, as I said, on TV and on the media. I would walk down the streets in town and you wouldn't ever see anybody who looked like, inverted commas, they might be part of the LGBT plus community. So it was a real struggle and I was looking everywhere for it. You know, I would want to go to Bathmore because that was the t- that was the city slightly further down um, on the trains that I could go to. And it was more di- accepting, more diverse. It felt more welcoming than growing up in a small tra- town that I grew up in. So that was my childhood. And I think it was a struggle. It wasn't ideal. I won't lie. But at the same time, would I have really handled it any differently in today's society? I'm not sure. I think I'm still naturally quite introvert and I think that would still be the case. But maybe I'd have come to terms with my sexuality a lot sooner. So then thinking about starting to explore my sexuality and my identity as a gay person. My first steps, if you like, was using the website Gaydar. Um, this, remember, was in a time way before we had smartphones and we could use all these apps on our phones in today's society, in today's world. So it was very much logging onto the website and speaking in chat rooms. And that would kind of be my limit. That's what I would do. And it would be great in one sense. It'd be liberating because there is this freedom. I could make up a profile. And I did for a number of years. There were fake profiles that weren't really me. And I would pinch photos off the internet and use those so I could hide behind a screen. And in one sense, that's, you could argue that I was being false, that I wasn't being myself. At the same time, I wasn't ready to accept myself. I wasn't ready to come to terms with who I am and what my identity is and what my sexuality was. So I needed that 
false sense of security, I guess, to hide behind a screen, to hide behind somebody else's image, just so I could talk to other people and to really understand, am I gay? Am I really attracted to men? Is this who I am? Am I comfortable with it? And am I ready to accept it first within myself and then with my family and my friends and to accept the label of being a gay person? So the next step from then on, after chatting on on chat rooms, was to start thinking about meeting people. Now, I don't think when I was in school, there was any notion or any awareness of internet safety and online safety that we, we educate our kids with today, which is brilliant. So I actually took some risky steps. I would organize to meet these people and I didn't know who they were. For all I knew, they could have been doing the same as I was and hiding behind a profile. So I'd organize to meet people and I apologize to anyone who might listen now that was one of those people that I uh, intended to meet up with. Nine times out of 10, I wouldn't meet them. If I was lucky, I'd go to the meeting location and I'd probably hide somewhere. And I didn't ever have that courage to, to walk up to them and talk to them and meet them and start getting to know people. That didn't happen until I went to university. And when I went to Northampton, and this is when I started training to be a teacher. Um, and I was 19, and that's when I finally came out. Um, and I think by then, we didn't quite have the iPhone. We were getting towards it, but we certainly had phones that had the internet on them. I remember that much. Um, I think actually I had one of the big Nokia phones with a camera on the back. And I would meet people, and we would, I would text, and we'd meet up. But Northampton had gay bars bit like Bath did which meant there were safe spaces to meet which I didn't have in my childhood town so that was an extra layer now not only could I go on the internet and find people to talk to but I could also now go to safe spaces and meet them there even if it was only for a drink it meant that I could go to um, gay bars on my own if I wanted to and just be around people that were like me that I identified with So I did, and that's how I finally um, admitted my sexuality. I finally went on dates and finally met people. But then the next step was, okay, I'm happy. I know that that's what I am and that's who I am. And I came out to my friends in halls. So then I went home for Easter and the big thing was coming out to my parents. Now... I couldn't come out to them first because I was worried about what might happen. I was worried about what they might say or what actions they might take. I was worried they were going to kick me out of the home. They wouldn't accept me for who I am. So I didn't tell them first. I went and I told my best friend first. So we went for dinner. We went to the local Weatherspoons. Um, and we were sat there and we'd ordered food and I was stressing about telling her But what I hadn't realised is she was sat there stressing because she had something she needed to tell me. She was telling me that night that she was pregnant. Um, I didn't even realise that she was on a soft drink. I think she was drinking a J2O orange and mango or something. So that completely um, was oblivious to me. I didn't even realise that was the case. So we sat there and we had our conversation and she was like, look, if anything happens, you can come and stay with me. So I had that safety net. I also knew I had my friends in Northampton if I needed it. So after telling my best friend that I was gay and she told me she was expecting a child and we had this amazing um, friendship bonding session, 
I went back the next day and I told my mum that I was gay. So once I'd had that conversation with my mum and my stepdad and they'd accepted it, then it, I said, well, I need to tell dad. It's not fair that I've told you, but I've not gone back and told my dad. So that's what we did. My mum then dropped me off and went, you're fine. You've got my phone number. If you need me at all, if you need me to come and pick you up, you know, but we love you. We support you. We're, we're happy for who you are. And I remember literally following my dad around the house, wherever he went, waiting for that perfect moment when I could say, dad, I've got something to tell you and I'm gay. And literally all day it didn't come because there isn't ever such thing as a perfect moment. And they went up to bed and I thought, no, I told myself I've got to do it today. So I knocked on the door, I went in and I um, told my dad and my stepmom that I was gay sitting on the end of the bed and we ended up having an amazing chat. Again, what that conversation was, I really couldn't tell you the ins and outs of the conversation, but I remember feeling accepted and I remember knowing that it's okay. So I was really lucky that both my parents had accepted me for who I was, my friends had accepted me for who I was, and I felt like I could start being myself. So I guess the question is, you know, I've talked about my childhood experiences and how it took me a long time to come to terms with my sexuality up until the age of 19, really, when I first admitted it to myself and then to my parents. So it makes me wonder what could have been different if it would have been able to talk about those things in school. If in primary school there was an awareness of the LGBT plus community, if it was normalised, if you like, in that just knowing that people are different and that you can talk about these things and it's okay. I wonder if at secondary school, if Section 28 hadn't been there, how it would have been different thinking about that that awareness of internet safety for a start. But also, from a social point of view, would there have been less bullying happening? Would it have been called out for being homophobic bullying? So they're obviously they're what if questions that no one ever, we can't ever have the answer to them. But it does make me really Um, passionate now about ensuring that children in today's society don't go through the same situations that I went through, that we are doing what we can to ensure that they are safe and secure and know that no matter who they are, they are accepted and they have a safe space to explore themselves. Of course, um, I had a really fortunate uh, childhood in that my family were incredibly supportive. However, sadly, that is not the case for every child today, particularly when we think about the trans community. I think there's been a huge um, improvement, I guess is the word I want to use, in acceptance of lesbians and gay men. But when you look at non-binary, when you look at the trans community, I'm not sure we're there or anywhere near there yet. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. So that's it for this week's episode of the Queer Ed podcast. Be sure to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. I'm David Church, wishing you a happy and queer week.